Welcome to the Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Welcome to Zig Ziggler's Inspire Podcast. This is Blake Lindsay, and we are glad you're here. I hope you are being better than good, as Mr. Ziggler likes to say. You are going to be glad you're here, because this podcast includes some of Zig's favorite and well-known stories. If you don't mind, I want to listen along with you. I'll be back in a few minutes to close. Now, if you're going to achieve all the things we want, you got to see yourself in that category. The picture you have of yourself is so enormously important. You cannot be one kind of person and another kind of performer. You got to have a picture of yourself, and you cannot, as Dr. Joyce's brother says, consistently perform in a manner which is inconsistent with the way you see yourself. For 24 years of my adult life, by choice, I weighed well over 200 pounds. Now, I say by choice, you see, because I've never accidentally eaten anything. (laughs) Always a choice. Now, if I choose to eat too much, then I have chosen to weigh too much. Over those years, I tried every kind of diet known to man. I I tried the 30-day diet, lost a month. (laughs) I tried dieting religiously. I mean, I quit eating in church. I can tell you this about dieting. You need to stay away from cottage cheese. A lot of people don't know it, but that's the most fattening food in existence. Now, I have no scientific evidence to validate that, but I've noticed in world travel that don't nothing but fat folks eat the stuff, so, you, you know, you draw your own conclusion. As far as I'm concerned, that's true. One thing, one thing that was positive I did discover is that my body retains ice cream. So, you know, I knew, I knew that I had to do something. Well... 23 years ago, I got on a sensible eating and exercise program. Up until then, my idea of exercise simply was to fill the tub, take a bath, pull the plug, and fight the current. I mean, you know, that was it. Now, that's not really that much of an exercise program. Now, the reality is eating too much wasn't my problem. See, I had a picture of myself. I'm a fat boy. I'm a fat man When my youngest daughter, who will be 40 on August 26, was a little girl, I taught her, when she was 18 months old, to call me Fat Boy. Now, she didn't know what she was doing. She would laugh because I would laugh on the outside. But on the inside, it was an entirely different matter. See, I knew I was a fat boy, and it hurt. I could look in the mirror, and I could tell. I had a picture of me laying out on the diving board of the swimming pool. At least part of me was on the diving board. (laughs) I could tell. I saw myself as a fat boy. And as long as I saw myself as a fat boy, it didn't make any difference how much weight I lost. It's coming right back. 100% of the time, it will come back. Until the picture changes. You've got to see yourself where you want to be. One of the most uh, amazing and dramatic stories that I've ever heard is the story of Viktor Serebriakov, unless it's succeeded by the young man Steve Walker I just talked about. I met Steve again a couple of years ago at one of the seminars, and he gave me this picture. He says, thank you for helping to make this possible. And it's a picture. His family is well together. They've added a member of the family. Now, that's what I call real growth. The best way is the right way, folks. He got an entirely different job. is making more money. 
than he was making when he was killing himself, working himself to death. Victor Serebriakov, age 16, his uh, teacher said to him, you're a dunce, Victor. You're never going to finish school. Why don't you drop out and get a job? At least be able to support yourself. Well, he dropped out of school, and for nearly 16 years, he was an itinerant. He went everywhere, did everything, served in the army and a host of other things. But every morning, Victor would get up, he'd look in the mirror, and he would shave the dunce that looked back at him. Uh, he would dress that dunce. He would take that dunce to work. He would think as a dunce. He would perform as a dunce, and he would receive a dunce's wages. Age 31, for whatever reason, they did a psychological evaluation on him. And uh, the results came back, and with tremendous excitement, they went to Victor and said, Victor, I don't know whoever told you you're a dunce, and I don't know why you think you are, because the scientific evidence is compulsive. There is zero doubt that we are in error. You, sir, are not a dunce. You have an IQ of 161. You, sir, are a genius. Now, they didn't tell him anything else. No new information except the greatest information of all. You're not a dunce, you're a genius. Now he looks in the mirror and shaves a genius. He dresses a genius. He goes to work as a genius. He thinks as a genius. He performs as a genius. And the bottom line is Viktor Serebriakov uh, has a number of books out. He has several patents to his credit. He is a, a very successful businessman, owns several businesses. And one year he was the international chairman of the Menza Society. And you got to have an IQ of 140 just to get in there. You see, he had the information and the knowledge and the IQ all the time. Had the wrong picture. And the wrong picture was there because of the input into his mind. And when you change the picture, that's when everything changes. Linda Isaacs is down here from Italy, Texas. Linda is African-American. She's a dwarf. They evaluated her when she was... <laughs> Just a little girl, four years old, they discovered she couldn't learn. They put her in school, though, when the time came, but they were really nice to her and the teacher. They told the teacher, now, Linda's a cute little girl. Her classmates will all call her shorty. She's very friendly, easy to get along with. Won't give you a moment's trouble, but don't worry about trying to teach anything because you can't learn. Well, they passed her from the first to the second to the third. They said, we don't want to have to make friends every year, a new set of friends. Just let her go on through. She graduated from high school, functioning at the first grade level. Now, what about her future? Member of a minority race, a dwarf. What are her chances? Very slim. Except her mother was getting on up in years. She had an older sister lived right here in Dallas. Her mother brought her to Dallas to live with her oldest sister who took her down to Goodwill Industries where she met Carol Clapp. And Carol Clapp uh, put her through this intensive two-week uh, acclimation school and discovered something. Linda could learn some things. Now for 18 years, Linda had been saying, Linda can't learn, Linda can't learn, Linda can't learn. And sure enough, she was right. Now all of a sudden, Linda's saying, hey, Linda can learn, Linda can learn, Linda can learn. A year later, she was answering the telephone and checking the payroll and functioning almost as a secretary. Learned more in a year than she had learned in 18 years past. Now please, do not read anything into this which I am not saying if there's brain damage, folks, that's a different matter. And there are some cases that this is not going to work. But in every case, there will be improvement. 
if we change the input and make it positive and upbeat at the same time, making it a realistic picture of what it's about. I'm going to tell you again, your input determines your outlook. Your outlook determines your output, and your output determines your future. The opinion you have of yourself and the opinion others have of you can make a big difference. The most moving story I've ever heard as it relates to what happens when you change the picture is a story told by Brian Harbour in his beautiful book, Rising Above the Crowd. When little Ben Hooper was born all those years ago in the foothills of East Tennessee, little boys and girls who had no idea who their daddies were were ostracized. They were treated horribly. By the time he was three years old, the other kids in that little East Tennessee community wouldn't play with him. Parents were saying idiotic things like, what's a boy like that doing playing with our kids as if the child had anything at all to do with his own birth. When he was six years old, they put him in first grade, no kindergarten, and uh, they gave him a little desk. All the kids had desks. At recess, he stayed in his desk and studied. The other kids went out and played. At lunch, he took his little sack lunch, went off, ate by himself. The other kids ate together. He had an extraordinarily tough childhood. When he was 12 years old, a new preacher came to that little church in the foothills of East Tennessee. And almost immediately, little Ben started hearing about what a wonderful man he was, how non-judgmental he was, how when he was with you, he was with you. He gave you his undivided attention. He had that charisma when he walked in a room. The spirits were automatically lifted. He was very popular in that little community. One Sunday, though, little Ben had never been to church a day in his life. He decided to go. He got there late, and he left early. He did not want to attract any attention at all. But for the first time in that child's life, he caught just a glimpse of hope. My good friend Dr. John Maxwell says, if there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. I believe if there is that hope, and that's the purpose of this series, is to give every individual, whether you're a John Johnson or a Linda Isaac or any one of the hundreds of other people, the Steve Walkers of life that I've been talking about, if we can give that individual hope, then they're going to take some action. How do you see yourself? What action steps are you inspired to take today? I want you to know that I think you have everything necessary to take you to places you want to go. Today is your day. Now go make something of it. I'm Blake Lindsay, encouraging you to live your life to the fullest. Ziggler. Ziggler. Inspiring true performance.